Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for how you continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, you know that what you have to say today is important. Uh, I know that it is important because I have been feeling it all morning. I have been feeling the resistance all morning. Thank you for being faithful as I have wrestled this morning to prepare. Lord, I am an empty vessel. Please take my words and fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your power. Speak to us as only you can speak to us. We dedicate this time to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. We are going to be talking today about David and Goliath. And as I alluded in my prayer, this morning has been a bit of an interesting morning for me. Uh, I woke up this morning earlier than I normally do, uh, and I was not at peace with with what we were going to talk about this morning. Uh, I was very concerned. I don't know why. Uh, well, I do know why now. In the, in the moment, I didn't know why. Uh, so I came in early and I decided to go through my my notes and read through it again and pray over it, uh, fearing I wasn't speaking what I was supposed to be speaking. As I was praying, the Lord reconfirmed that where we were going is where he wanted us to go. But I'll tell you that it's it should signal us when the enemy begins to try to divert us that what we're about to read or what we're about to talk about is something the Lord really wants us to talk about. He wants his truth out, and the enemy will do anything to try to stop it. So, if I if I kind of go a few places today, I apologize. My nerves are sort of on their edge because of that this morning. Um, if you want to pray over that while, while I'm preaching, that would be great uh, just to settle those. I could feel it in my hands this morning. It's a weird feeling. So... But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be talking about David and Goliath. So if you want to turn there uh, and follow along, we're going to be reading the whole chapter. All right. Starting at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sogah, Sogah in Judah. They pitched camps at Ephesus. There's a lot of names here. And I'm just going to forewarn you, I might butcher a few of them. So... Just follow along. <laughs> I was taught that at school that if you can't say a name in the Bible correctly, just say it with authority and no one will know you're wrong. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to butcher some. So here we go. <laughs> they pitched the camp at Ephes Damim between Soga and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the and the Israeli Israelite are uh, another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's really a pretty specific number, right? A span. Roughly, Goliath is nine feet nine inches. So. That's tall. Okay. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That is roughly about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So just the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds, roughly. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come um, down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy... Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephraite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judea. In Judah. Uh, Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, and the firstborn was Elab, the second, Abinab. Abinab, yep, that's right. And the third, Shema. Shemama, yeah. Confidence. David was the youngest, and the, th- and, the three young- and, the, uh, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days, the Philistines came, or the Philistine, this is Goliath, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out into its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will uh, will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the, man, the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why, are you, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave the, um, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Now what, what, now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? 
Then he then turned away from uh, turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, "Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and f- will go and fight him." David replied, "You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth." But David said to Paul, "Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep." When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned, when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David, David in his own tunic. He put a coat of arms on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword uh, um, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go out in these, he, he said to Saul, because I did not use them. I, I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hands, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of, um, of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked, over, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and, and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the name of the God, uh, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of this, all of you into his hands. Into our hands, sorry. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into a bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward uh, with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, um, of Gath and, the sh- and a shout and the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shin- Sharam Shrim, road to Gath and Ekron. Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. So, so Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said, to, um, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Whose son is this? Is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. 
As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and David, still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, uh, young man? Saul asked him, and David said, I am the son of Jesse, the servant, um, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. All right. The word of the Lord. We have heard this story often. Even if you don't go to church, you know the story of David and Goliath normally, right? We, uh, it's a common reference to the little guy taking on the giant. So we have to start to, from before this moment to understand where David comes from. Okay, David is uh, the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse is a man who lives in Bethlehem. He is, uh, Samuel is the priest of the, um, of the Lord, the prophet of the Lord, and he had gone to find a new king earlier in this moment. Uh, Saul, who was the king of Israel, had displeased the Lord. Uh, that's a whole other story. We're not going to go into the details of that. But he had lost the favor of the Lord. And so the Lord told Samuel to go and to anoint the new king. He was directed by the Lord to Bethlehem. He was directed to the house of Jesse. And he asked Jesse, where is your sons? Jesse says, I have seven of them. He begins to pursue them out, oldest to youngest. Every single one of them, though they were wonderful strapping men, did not fulfill the Lord's desire. Uh, his oldest brother was this very strapping guy. He looked very similar to Saul. Saul was a large man. When the Israelites asked God for a king, God told them to find the tallest man in their midst, and that was Saul, and he became the king. Saul's qualifying attribute at the time was he was the biggest. Okay? So you have to think about that when we get into the story. Think about who Saul is. Saul is the tallest Israelite. Okay, height is an important element of this story, right? Okay, so Samuel is with Jesse. He goes through six of the sons and says, none of these are the one. Do you have any other sons? He said, yes, I have one. He's my youngest. He actually is out in the field, and uh, his name is David. He said, send for him. Brings him in. David is a teenager, like young teenager, like sixth, seventh grade teenager when he meets Samuel. And the Lord says, this is him. He anoints him. Nothing in David's life changes at this point. He doesn't instantly go to some nice school. His family doesn't instantly become royalty. He's just been anointed by Samuel. David goes back to the fields. He is tending the sheep. He's doing what his father asked him to do. He's being a dutiful son. We know from David that in his time in the fields, he would often be in prayer and in song, praising God, talking to God, asking. His relationship with God was vibrant as a child. War breaks out with the Philistines. The Philistines are um, a perpetual nuisance to the Israelites. Uh, after Joshua establishes the kingdom of Israel within Canaan, it's much smaller than God intended. They, they, they stopped short of going into the valleys because the people in the valleys, like the Philistines, were much more advanced than them in military. They were afraid of them. They were bigger. 
So they stopped kind of up in the hills. And after Joshua dies, the people of Israel go through a series of, of judges. Uh, there's a book in the Bible called Judges, and it is, um, it's an interesting book. Uh, if you are at all interested in l- some of the coolest stories in Israel's history, my favorite story is in the book of Judges. It's uh, the story of the judge Ehud. He's a left-handed judge. Shout out to my wife who's left-handed and all of you left-handers out there. The only way he could do what he do- did was because he was left-handed. Uh, and I'm going to stop because I'll preach a whole sermon on Ehud because he's awesome. But anyway, the judges were these there was no leader person in, in charge of Israel at the time. They were being led by God. But the problem is that the people quickly fell into habits of the, of the nations around them, doing things that were not what God wanted them to do. And as they moved further away from God, God removed protection. And the Israelites would get conquered. And then after being oppressed for a while, they would call out to God, just like they had in Egypt. And God would send a judge who would be a single person or a couple people who would re- uh, would rescue the Israelites from oppression. The judges was a cycle. It happened seven different times. They would they would sin, fall away from God, ask for and live in, in oppression. They would ask for a judge, or they'd ask for a rescue. God would send a judge. They would be good for a while, and they would sin, and fall away from God. They go into oppression. And they would ask for rescue, and God would send another judge. The length of time from when they would fall and go into oppression to when they would ask for help uh, lengthened the longer the cycles went. To the point that Sam, Samson, the most famous judge, who was the last judge, they were in oppression for a long time. And Samson is the worst judge. We have idolized him, but he is a horrible judge. He followed none of God's rules. He did everything on his own, and he was a fool. His whole story is about how he constantly did his own thing, and it wasn't until he he had fallen to nothingness that he realized his mistakes and asked God to redeem him, and that's when he, you know, knocked down the wall, the towers, and killed all the Philistine leadership. Okay? The Philistines were the problem then. The Philistines continued to be this perpetual nuisance. They asked for a king after the judges. Israelites wanted God just let us be like everyone else and have a king. God said that's a bad idea. Kings are corrupt because they're people. They're not perfect. But they said, I don't, we don't care. We want to be like everyone else. So he gives him a king and he gives him Saul. Saul decides to go to war with the Philistines to rid them of this problem. We, this is where we find ourselves today in the story. They've drawn the battle lines on two hills opposite of each other of a valley. And this is a very typical thing of the uh, of warfare in that time frame. They would draw battle lines. They would yell at each other. Often they would send out a champion to, to decide the war so that there wasn't massive bloodshed. Other times there would be all-out battles. But in this case, they would be going against a champion. It's also important to understand that in ancient warfare, it wasn't just people against people. It was their God versus our God. Always. Whoever your God was, he was the one who was going to be at war with the other God. And the victor meant that your God was better than their God, since they won. 
The best champion was the one who would go out and he would represent the God in battle. So the Philistines had this mountain of a man, Goliath, nine feet, nine inches. I wanted to go get a big old PVC pipe so you could have seen how tall that is. But that's really, really tall. The doorways are normally about six, 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 eight. So add three feet to that, which is almost the ceiling over there on that wall. That's how tall he was before he put on all of his armor and became even more tall. Okay. He comes out and he demands, he defies the Israelites. By defying the Israelites, he is defying their God, saying, our God is better than your God. I will destroy you. Send out your best and we'll go to battle. And whoever wins, the other nation will become your servant. A long time this happens. 40 days, it says. You know, a little bit more than a month. Every morning, every night, or every afternoon probably, Goliath would come out, he would issue his, issue his challenge, and the Israelites who were in their battle lines, yelling chants and yelling war cries, would run away. Because everyone knew that whoever went against him would most likely die. And they didn't want to do that. And they didn't want to disgrace God. They didn't want to put the Israelites into servitude. There was fear. David has three brothers who are in the army. His oldest brothers. His dad is using David sort of as the go-between. He would send gift packages to his children, to his boys, and he would get word from them of how the things are going. Uh, they didn't have phones. They didn't have really letter system. They didn't have any way of communicating outside of people going back and forth. So David was his his line to the to the news. He tells David, "Take this food to the to the troops. Give these to your brother. Give these to their commanders. Tell me that they are still safe, and let me know how things are going." David does. David goes. He delivers his things to the different places. And he then is there when Goliath comes out and gives his, his command, his chant, his challenge to the Israelites. Now, the question is, is this the very first time David's gone to the front lines? I'm guessing no. I think that he's probably done it before, but I'm not sure. And, but if he has, then it would definitely, he wouldn't have been there the first few times that Goliath issued this command. Because I think he would have acted earlier in this story. But he hears the challenge, and he begins to talk to the soldiers around, asking what's going on, what's happening, why is this happening? And they're telling him, and they're telling him that, hey, Saul has basically guaranteed that whoever kills him will become rich, he'll become part of the royal family because he's going to give his daughter to them in marriage. Like, their family will never have to pay taxes again. I mean, this is like winning the lottery for somebody at that point in history. But no one is willing to take up the challenge. David's brothers realize that he's still there, realizes that they haven't, he hasn't gone home, and he's sort of talking um, bolder than he should be as a 6th grade, 7th grade. 
Like he shouldn't be talking, because he's talking like, I'll take him on. I'll do it. I'm not afraid of him. What are all these different things? And his brothers are like, what are you doing here? Why are you still here? Go home. Go back to the, to the sheep that you've left in the wilderness. Like, what are you thinking? But David is, he's kind of defiant. And he's like, can I not just say what is true? Word comes to Saul that this young man is talking so boldly. And he sends for him, and he has him come, and he meets the king. It's a big deal to meet the king. He comes before Saul, and Saul says, what is this you keep saying? And David says, when I'm out in the fields, whenever a lion comes or a bear comes, and they take one of my sheep, I run after them. I chase them down. It's not that he, like, finds out about it and then he hunts down the lion later. Like, he says he saves the sheep, which means it's an instant reaction. He goes after the animal while the sheep is still alive. And he gets the sheep from the animal and he saves the sheep. And then, if the animal pursues him, he turns and he attacks the animal. The lion, the bear. And he kills them. Remember how old David is. David is not some safari expert expert who is ripped and, and built out and is can take on a lion single-handedly. He is a young man, a teenage boy, who has killed a lion and has killed a bear. And he says, that Philistine is nothing more than that. And if the Lord can deliver me from the paw of the lion and the claws of the bear, he can deliver me from the hands of that Philistine. He was convincing enough that Saul agreed and said, okay. And he like begins to deck David out in the best of the best armor, his armor. Puts on his helmet, he puts on his, his breastplate, he put, puts on his, cle- his, um, cleaves, that's not the, the whatever they are, bracers, oh, that's not the right word either, his boots. He's trying to use the proper term for him and I'm messing it up. He, he outfits him, he gives him his own, uh, he gives him Saul's own sword. Now, again, remember the difference in how big David is to how big Saul was, right? David is a 14, 13, 14 year old boy. Think of like Austin. He's like this big. David is the tallest Israelite. He is the biggest Israelite. So everything he has is custom made for him and his size. And here he is putting all of this, all of these pieces onto this little boy. And David doesn't say, uh, these are a little too big for me. He lets him put them on him. And then he tries to walk around in it. And he realizes very quickly, uh, I can't move in this because I am not used to it. He's very gracious. He, he doesn't say, you idiot, I'm too too small for this armor. He says, that I'm not used to using this. I, I probably shouldn't wear it. So they take it all off. I think Saul says a small prayer when he says, the Lord be with you as he goes, because it's really honestly the only way David has any chance is in Saul's mind. It says that David leaves with his staff, and that on his way to the battlefield, he picks up five smooth stones, and he puts them in his pouch with his sling. 
Now, I don't know your background with slingshots. I used to have a slingshot as a kid. It was, you know, the really cool ones that had, like, the brace that would hold it on my wrist. And, you know, I was horribly inaccurate with it. But I loved it. I loved shooting things with it or trying to shoot things with it. Many birds escaped because I was bad. But I tried to kill them. <laughs> a slingshot in the hand of someone who is trained with a slingshot, it is deadly. I guarantee you the way that David took down the lion and the bear involved a slingshot to some degree. In ancient times, there were military units that they just used slingshots. That's how how forceful they could become. All right. So he's got his sling, and it's not the pullback kind of slingshot. It's the slingshot where it's a leather like pouch with two long strips, and you whip it around like this, and then you let go of one side, not both. You let go of one side, and it shoots that rock towards your target. So David grabs his five smooth stones, and he advances on the field. My thoughts are, is what is the Israelite army thinking as this young boy dressed in his civilian attire begins to walk out of their lines onto the battlefield towards the man that they are terrified of? I can't even imagine what they'd be thinking. Talking about this idiot, what is he doing? He's cursing us all to, to slavery. What is he doing? I don't think that they were thinking, he's going to take care of it. The Lord's got his back. I don't think that's what they're thinking. Because if that was what they were thinking, one of them would have stepped out earlier in the, in the fray. I think they're so afraid of what's about to happen. He walks out. Goliath sees him, sees that he is young, sees that he's handsome, interesting that that is noted in the scripture. I think it might mean that Goliath was pretty ugly. And he's a bit jealous. Because it says he despises David. He despises him for his youth and his handsomeness. Interesting things to note in the scriptures, that that's what Goliath despised. And his shield bearer Here's Goliath. Goliath is this mountain of a man, and then he's got another man who all his job is is to hold the shield for him because the shield is massive. His shield, bear, his shield bearer is out in front of him, readying himself. Goliath sees him. He begins to taunt him, and he's like, this is ridiculous. Within minutes, I am going to have killed you and left you for the birds and the wild animals to die, and then all of your people will be ours. And David's response is hilarious. To me, it's hilarious. I almost believe David, David might have chuckled. That's how I envision the, the scene. Um, he uh, is chuckling because he knows who stands behind him. And he says that, You defy the army, or the Lord, the, the God of Israel. You defy the Almighty. And He is the one who stands behind me with armies of angels. And I will kill you and chop your head off. 
And then, he doesn't say, I'm going to leave your body or the wild animals. Then, all of the, the body, all of your friends, all the Philistines, your army, their bodies will be left in the valley for the wild animals and the birds. In my mind, Goliath is laughing because this is absurd for this little boy to be saying this to Goliath. Now, have you ever seen any like cinematic rendition of this? There's lots of different cartoons of, of David and Goliath um, that kids watch. There's always some kind of a like scene where Goliath is like coming at him and David's all like, ah, like he's got his sling going. I'm not sure how the battle goes, but I believe it happens quickly. I believe David met, like lost no, lo, no time. I would almost argue he probably already had his sling loaded as he walked up there. Goliath prepares himself to come after David. David begins to sling his sling around, and it says he looses his rock, and it buries itself in his forehead. That is some force. It doesn't just hit him. See, I always have heard this story, and I, and I know he cuts his head off at the end, so I always thought, oh, he just knocks him out with the rock. And then I reread it again this morning as I was preparing, and I'm like, no, he like, like a bullet. It like buries itself in his head. So imagine Goliath, this mountain of a man. He's got his spear or his javelin, and he's coming at David. David looses his stone. It hits him in the thing. All that momentum is now dead momentum. Boom, to the ground. He falls. David comes up quickly, in my mind, because I don't see why he would be slow about it. He grabs the sword of, da- of Goliath, which is hefty, probably about as tall as David, and he cuts off the giant's head. The armies of the Philistines are terrified. They would have been scared if a a soldier, someone who would have been slightly equal to Goliath in, in stature and skill, would have taken him down. But to have this little boy who has invoked the armies of the Lord behind him to have dropped their champion before the champion has even taken a swing at him. Remember, these battles signify the power of a God that they're behind, that's behind the soldier. To have that happen talks about how powerful the God of the Israelites was. And they flee in complete surrender. The armies of Israel rally behind, well, David doesn't run after them, but the armies of Israel run after them and they slaughter them up and down the valley. The entire valley is strewn with the Philistine army's dead bodies. Saul, if you pull yourself back a little in the scene, Saul is sitting at watching this, And as he goes towards Goliath, Saul asks his advisor, Abner, who, whose son is this? Like, who is this kid? Where did he come from? Like, to have that much courage, where is he from? And Abner goes, I honestly have no idea. Like, he's not some famous, somebody from a famous family. Once Goliath is dead and David is coming back to the camp, 
Abner brings him to to, to uh, Saul, and Saul asks him, "Who who are you? Whose son are you?" Because that's how you're identified in the ancient culture was whose child you were. And he says, "I am the son of Jesse from ba- uh, from Bethlehem." He he was nobody at the time. Jesse was a shepherd, a family of shepherds from a very small little town. There wasn't even a Jerusalem yet. I mean, this is just like a podunk town, a town similar to like uh, maybe a Placerville, where just not very many famous people come out of it. He said, I'm, I'm, from, I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. And that's where we leave the scripture today, but the story continues, as many of us know, that David, be, after being, he was already anointed to be the new king, he marries this, the daughter of Saul. He is adopted, essentially, into their family. He moves into the royal family. He is raised as, a, as royalty, in essence, from this point forward. The story is crazy between Saul and David in the future. Saul is ridiculously jealous of David because David is this young, handsome man who has become a legend for killing Goliath. And he later becomes renowned as a warrior. David becomes the next king. And from the line of David, we get the rest of the kings of Israel. None of Saul's lineage survives. David becomes king, and from him we get, well, get lots of children who have lots of infighting, but we get Solomon. And from Solomon, the kings continue forward. It is from the line of David that the Messiah will come. It is from this young man's lineage that Jesus will be born. How many of you had have had to face a nine foot, nine inch tall warrior recently? Me neither. And I don't think I will have to. I don't think there's going to be some military opponent that will come against me that I'm going to need to have the courage of David to say, Ha! The God of Israel is behind me with his angel of our army of angels, and I'm going to take you out. I know that that will not ever happen to me. And it will probably not happen to any of you. But you see, we as Christians face open warfare on a fairly regular basis. It's just not physical warfare. Um, obviously, men and women in the military, they, they actually face physical warfare. But we face spiritual warfare. I was in war this morning. I, it took me a little while to figure out that's what I was in, but I, I did. And as soon as I figured it out, I prayed. And I am slightly ashamed at how long it took me to figure it out. I wish I would have figured it out earlier. I wish I'd have figured it out when I woke up so I could have maybe slept a little longer. But I didn't. 
But as soon as I begin to pray, the Lord began to reassure me. As soon as I began to pray, the battle that was going on inside of my head and inside of my heart subsided and went away. Because we stand, just as David did, as agents of the living God, as agents of the Lord who has an army of angels who stand behind us. And our enemy is just as real as a Philistine giant that stood in front of David. We have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, who wants to keep us in oppression, just like the Philistines did. They wanted to keep Israel in oppression. The spiritual forces that come against people of God are, are very real, and they are very, very skilled at their crafts. They know the exact buttons to push to rile our anger, to send us into depression. They know the exact things to begin our fear and our worry, to trigger our anxieties, to trigger our insecurities. They have made it their mission to study you and me so they know every kink in our armor, in our armor to know exactly where to attack us. And some of us, like me this morning, don't realize it's a battle until we've gone a few rounds in it. And we can feel the effects of it. We don't wield real physical weapons in those moments. We wield spiritual ones. We pray. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. At our fingertips. To pray against those attacks. And the Holy Spirit will drive the enemy away just as the Philistines fleed from the Israelites. You have an army behind you. You have the creator of the universe residing in you, waiting for you to say, okay, release me. Let me, let me do what I do. Let me fight the battle for you. Because the battle truly does belong to the Lord. Just like in David's case, David was horribly mismatched. He should have died within minutes of going against Goliath. But the Lord was behind him, and the battle was his. And David went into that battle already knowing that was the case. He didn't go in with insecurities saying, I hope I'm strong enough, I hope I'm fast enough. He went in knowing that the Lord of Israel, the God of the universe, was with him and was actually the one who was going to fight the battle. Sometimes we just need to remember that. We need to pray and call upon the Lord to deliver us. And he will do it. For he is faithful and he will 
always be there to protect us, to lift us up, and to guide us. We pray. Father, thank you for fighting our battles. Thank you for being with us so we don't have to face it on our own. It's just like David, we are so, so outmatched. It is only through you and through the power of your Holy Spirit in us that we can fight these battles. Lord, we pray that you will fortify our hearts, fortify our souls, fortify our minds so that the enemy cannot infiltrate. The enemy cannot find those buttons to push and to attack us. Lord, and give us your wisdom so that as soon as they begin, we notify you to be involved. That we fall to our knees, that we come to you in prayer, that we give the battle to you. Help us to see them for what they are. You are the Lord Almighty. You are our refuge and our strength. You are our deliverer. You are our rescuer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I give you praise and honor for all that you do in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.